Ready? I am reminded of a prophecy in the house of the Lord that said, It's time for my children to stand before the sons of Adam and show them what the sons of God look like. It is the job of the born again to extend God's hand of salvation to the lost, to show them the way, beautifully declared in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, to redeem the lost sons of Adam. John 3, 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In this place of born again, we enter the very real, invisible kingdom of God, where we inherit a new father, a new beginning, a new name, a new eternal purpose, an entire book of glorious instructions and promises. The differences between the sons of God and the sons of Adam are stark, even eternally stark. Are you ready to repent of your sins and surrender your life to Jesus Christ, the King of glory? Are you ready to be set free of all your sin, shame, and carnal bondages? Will today be your day of salvation? This decision is yours alone. Make the glorious choice that will last forever. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God now for today's subject. God said, Revelation six twelve through 17, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell upon the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us! And hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? God said, Matthew twenty four thirty six through 42. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came, and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. God said, Revelation sixteen seventeen through 20, And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. Man said, these doomsday prophets make me laugh. There's no end to this world and certainly no judgment day. Now the record. This feature is part two on the subject of the role of earthquakes in last day's prophecies. 
The introduction from last week's feature follows. Some find it hard to fathom, but God does use what one might perceive as natural disasters to judge the inhabitants of the earth. Such an idea draws the ire of the God ignorant, but the reality remains. One might only think of Noah's Ark, fish fossils on every mountain peak, or Sodom and Gomorrah, where God rained down fire and brimstone, what meteors are made of, out of heaven to destroy the Sodomites. Archaeologists spades say yes. During the very last days, and that means these days, these judgments of God called natural disasters will become unnaturally pervasive and unnaturally devastating. Some of the theological ilk assert that God is not predictable, but concerning our situation on this planet and in this universe, nothing could be further from the truth. In His Holy Bible, in His declarations, and in His prophecies, God clearly declares the beginning and the end. There is no ambiguity. God is predictable. God functions in clearly delineated lines of order and pattern. Judgment in particular requires wickedness to come to a fool. The first global judgment takes place 1656 years after Adam first opens his eyes, Genesis 6, 5 through 8, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Wickedness had come to a fool. Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed by God because wickedness had come to a fool. In Genesis fifteen fourteen through 16, God holds off on the judgment of the Amorites and says, The iniquity of the Amorite is not yet full. The prophet Daniel speaks of the last day's judgment of God and writes these telling words, When the transgressors are come to the full. Before judgment, wickedness must come to the full. Consider the headline in the July-August 2015 issue of AFA Journal, which originally published by the Sunday Times. MX, New Gender Neutral Title, a paragraph follows. The Oxford English Dictionary is considering adding the gender-neutral term MX to the dictionary's list of honorific terms such as Mr., Mrs., and Miss. The title frequently used in the UK by transgenders or those who wish to avoid gender traditional gender uh, designations has also been adopted by government departments, banks, universities, newspapers, and the Royal Mail Postal Service and for driver's licenses, end of quote. In the week, July 24, 2015, you'll find the following on page four. Congressional Democrats have introduced legislation to ban the use of the words husband and wife in federal laws, saying they discriminate against gay couples. Gendered terms reflect prejudice and discrimination, says U.S. Rep. Lois Capps, and should be replaced by spouse and married couple. End of quote. The U.S. White House, as well as a host of other buildings were bathed in rainbow-colored lights celebrating the legalization of gay marriage in all 50 states, which is in direct violation of God's word. Wickedness is coming to a fool. End of quotes. The following paragraphs are from the God Said, Man Said feature, 21 Signs of Doomsday, Part 4, The Mountains Fall Down Flat. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, 
Luke seventeen twenty six through 27. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. They were marrying and being given in marriage. Also, there were other notable situations occurring in the days of Noah that are going to repeat themselves at the king's return. When God refers to the judgment at Christ's return, he uses the same kind of terminology that he used in the days of Noah. Genesis seven eleven reads, In the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month of the seventeenth day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were open. Referring to the coming judgment, Isaiah twenty four eighteen reads, And it shall come to pass that he who fleeth from the noise of the fear shall fall into the pit. And he that cometh up out of the midst of the pit shall be taken in the snare, for the windows from on high are open, and the foundations of the earth do shake. Some in the field of geology believe that many of the world's mountain ridges are a result of cataclysmic events that occurred during Noah's global flood. Among geologists, there are considerable differences on how the mountains were formed. Some claim that it was a result of tectonic plates banging together during the Great Flood and then uplifting the mountain ridges. Various other theories are promoted, but one thing is certain. Plate tectonics were present in all mountain-making processes. The following paragraphs were taken from the Genesis Flood by Whitcomb and Morse. The origin of the great mountain chains, which apparently have been uplifted from the sea bottom in the most recent geological periods, is still a mystery. No satisfactory and generally accepted theory of orogeny has yet been devised, which fact in itself proves that modern diastrophic processes do not explain those of the Earth's earlier history. It is quite true that the entire area, as is true of mountainous areas in general, gives much evidence of faulting, folding, and general tectonic activity both at the so-called fault plains and at many other locations, including plains which are supposed to be normal bedding plains. Such activity is to be expected in connection with mountain uplift processes, whatever the nature or cause of those processes may be. Since the Pliocene and Pleistocene are supposed to represent the most recent geological epochs, except that of the present, and since nearly all of the great mountain areas of the world have been found to have fossils from these times near their summits, there is no conclusion possible, other than the mountains, and therefore the continents of which they form backbones, have all been uplifted essentially simultaneously and quite recently." Surely this fact accords well with the biblical statements. With regard to earth movements, it is likewise common knowledge that the rock formations of the earth exhibit everywhere profound evidence of great tectonic activity, end of quote. The great flood in the days of Noah took place approximately 4,350 years ago. The biblical unmaking of the mountains, most of which appear to have been created in the days of Noah, is about to happen. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah. When the mighty Christ returns to earth at the battle of Armageddon, he will set foot on the Mount of Olives, which will result in a colossal earthquake that will affect the entire globe. Zechariah 14, 1 through 4, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, 
and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof, toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. It's interesting to note that on February 11, 2004, an earthquake measuring 5.0 on the Richter scale rocked Israel. Seismologists predict a huge earthquake in Israel within the next 50 years. The Jerusalem Post on March 5, 2004, quoted Dr. Rami Hofstetter, director of the seismology division of the Geophysical Institute of Israel. He said, we are going to have a bigger one. There's no doubt about it. We're going to have it. It's just a question of time. We know it is going to happen because we have historical information on this for the last 2,000 years. End of quote. A major fault line runs directly under the Mount of Olives. God declares this global earthquake begins at the Mount of Olives. He prophesies of this coming event thousands of years before the concepts of plate tectonics and fault lines were ever conceived. Only the Creator would know exactly where the fault line lies, and only He would know that a big one lies under the Mount of Olives and the Temple Mount. This is just another supernatural proof that God is, and that His Word is true and righteous altogether. When the Mount of Olives earthquakes take place, this tectonic disaster will be global. Every mountain will fall down flat. It was mountain-making in the days of Noah and the opposite at Christ's return. Every wall will fall down flat. The islands, which are simply mountain peaks poking out of the water, will flee away. Read Ezekiel chapter 38, 19, and 20. The headline of the feature published by New Yorker magazine in June of 2015 reads, the really big one, and the subhead reads, An earthquake will destroy a sizable portion of the coastal northwest. The question is, when? The article written by Catherine Schulz speaks of earthquakes and the devastation they create. In particular, she references the fault line known as the Cascadia Subduction Zone, she writes. Just north of the San Andreas, however, lies another fault line known as the Cascadia Subduction Zone. It runs for 700 miles off the coast of the Pacific Northwest, beginning near Cape Mendocino, California, continuing along Oregon and Washington and terminating around Vancouver Island, Canada. The Cascadia part of its name comes from the Cascade Range, a chain of volcanic mountains that follow the same course a hundred or so miles inland. The subduction zone a part refers to a region of the planet where one tectonic plate is sliding underneath, subducting another. Tectonic plates are those slabs of mantle and crust that, in their epic long drift, rearrange the Earth's continents and oceans most of the time. Their movement is slow, harmless, and all but undetectable. Occasionally, at the borders where they meet, it is not. Schultz speaks of the idea that Cascadia is long overdue and describes what to expect when the big one comes. It is possible to quibble with that number. Recurrence intervals are averages, and averages are tricky. Ten is the average of nine and eleven, but also of eighteen and two. It is not possible, however, to dispute the scale of the problem. 
The devastation in Japan in 2011 was the result of a discrepancy between what the best science predicted and what the region was prepared to withstand. The same will hold true in the Pacific Northwest, but here the discrepancy is enormous. The science part is fun, Goldfinger says, and I love doing it, but the gap between what we know and what we should do about it is getting bigger and bigger, and the action really needs to turn to responding. Otherwise, we're going to be hammered. I've been through one of the uh, these massive earthquakes in the most seismically prepared nation on Earth. If that were Portland, Goldfinger finished his sentence with a shake of his head before he finished it with words. Let's just say, I would rather not be here. The first sign that the Cascadia earthquake has begun will be a compressional wave radiating outward from the fault line. Compressional waves are fast-moving, high-frequency waves, audible to dogs and certain other animals, but experienced by humans uh, only as a sudden jolt. They are not very harmful, but they are potentially very useful since they travel fast enough to be detected by sensors 30 to 90 seconds ahead of other seismic waves. That is enough time for earthquake early warning signals, such as those in use throughout Japan, to automatically perform a variety of life-saving functions, shutting down railways and power plants, opening elevators and, and firehouse doors, alerting hospitals to halt surgeries, and triggering alarms so that the general public can take cover. The Pacific Northwest has no early warning system. When the Cascadia earthquake begins, there will be instead a cacophony of barking dogs and a long-suspended what was that moment before the surface waves arrive. Surface waves are slower and lower frequency waves that move the ground both up and down and side to side, the shaking starting in earnest. Soon after that shaking begins, the electrical grid will fail, likely everywhere west of the Cascades and possibly well beyond. If it happens at night, the ensuing catastrophe will unfold in darkness. In theory, those who are at home when it hits should be safest. It is easy and relatively inexpensive to seismically safeguard a private dwelling. But lulled into nonchalance by their seemingly benign environment, most people in the Pacific Northwest have not done so. That nonchalance will shatter instantly. So will everything made of glass. Anything indoors and unsecured will lurch across the floor or come crashing down. Bookshelves, lamps, computers, canisters of flour in the pantry. Refrigerators will walk out of the kitchens, unplugging themselves and toppling over. Water heaters will fall and smash interior gas lines. Houses that are not bolted to their foundation will slide off, or rather, they will stay put, obeying inertia, while the foundations, together with the rest of the Northwest, jolt westward. Unmoored on the undulating ground, the homes will begin to collapse. Ian Maiden, who directs the Oregon Department of Geology and Mineral Industries, estimates that 75% of all structures in the state are not designed to withstand a major Cascadia quake. FEMA calculates that across the region, something on the order of a million buildings, more than 3,000 of them schools, will collapse or be compromised in the earthquake. So will half of all highway bridges, 15 of the 17 bridges spanning Portland's two rivers and two-thirds of railways and airports also, one-third of all fire stations, half of all police stations, and two-thirds of all hospitals. 
The shaking from the Cascadia quake will set off landslides throughout the region, up to 30,000 of them in Seattle alone. The city's emergency management office estimates it will also induce a process called liquefaction, whereby seemingly solid ground starts behaving like a liquid to the detriment of anything on top of it. 15% of Seattle, Seattle is built on liquefiable land, including 17-day care centers and the homes of some 34,500 people. So is Oregon's critical energy infrastructure hub, a six-mile stretch of Portland through which flows 90% of the state's liquid fuel and which houses everything from electrical uh, substations to natural gas terminals. Together, the sloshing, sliding, and shaking will trigger fires, flooding, pipe failures, dam breaches, and hazardous material spills. Every one of these second-order disasters could swamp the original earthquake in terms of cost, damage, or casualties, and one of them definitely will. Four to six minutes after the dogs start barking, the shaking will subside. For another few minutes, the region, upended, will continue to fall apart on its own. Then the wave will arrive and the real destruction will begin. Among natural disasters, tsunamis may be the closest thing to being completely unsurvivable. The only likely way to outlive one is not to be there when it happens, to steer clear of the vulnerable area in the first place, or get yourself to high ground as fast as possible. For the 71,000 people who live in Cascadia's inundation zone, that will mean evacuating in the narrow window after one disaster ends and before another begins. They will be notified to do so only by the earthquake itself, a vibration alert system. Kevin Couples, the city planner of the town of Seaside, Oregon, jokes, and they are urged to leave on foot since the earthquake will render roads impassable. Depending on location, they will have between 10 and 30 minutes to get out. That timeline does not allow for finding a flashlight, tending to an earthquake injury, uh, hesitating amid the ruins of a home, searching for loved ones, or being a good Samaritan. When that tsunami is coming, you run. Jay Wilson, the chief of the Oregon Seismic Safety Policy Advisory Commission, says you protect yourself. You don't turn around. You don't go back to save anybody. You run for your life. These lax safety policies guarantee that many people inside the inundation zone will not get out. 22% of Oregon's coastal population is 65 or older. 29% of the state's population is, is disabled, and that figure rises in many coastal counties. We can't save them, Kevin Couples says. I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say, oh yeah, we'll go around and check on the elderly. No, we won't. Nor will anyone save the tourists. Washington State properties within the inundation zone see an average of 17,029 guests a day. Maiden estimates that up to 150,000 people visit Oregon's beaches on summer weekends. Most of them won't have a clue as to as, as how to evacuate, he says, and the beaches are the hardest part to evacuate from. Those who cannot get out of the inundation zone under their own power will be quickly will quickly be overtaken by a greater one. A grown man is knocked over by ankle-deep water, moving at 6.7 miles an hour. The tsunami will be moving more than twice that fast when it arrives. Its height will vary with the contours of the coast from 20 feet to more than 100 feet. It will not look like a Hokusai-style wave rising from the surface of the sea and breaking from above. 
It will look like the whole ocean elevated, overtaking land. Nor will it be made of only water, not once it reaches the shore. It will be a five-story deluge of pickup trucks and door frames and cinder blocks and fishing boats and utility poles and everything else that once constituted the coastal towns of the Pacific Northwest, end of quotes. Strange and unusual terms in the Word of God shout to the experienced reader, Stop! Look! Listen! Consider Leviticus eighteen twenty-two through 25. Thou shalt not lie with mankind, as with womankind, it is an abomination. Neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith, neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down thereto, it is confusion. Defile not ye yourselves in any of these things, for in all these the nations are defiled which I cast out before you, and the land is defiled. Therefore I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it, and the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. The idea that the earth vomits out the evil inhabitants reminds me of earthquakes and the geological term liquefaction of the earth. The homosexual drive to dominate the mind of America is called a cultural revolution, but that revolution will not bring success. The following paragraph is from the June 19, 2015 issue of the week. The feature is titled, Caitlyn Jenner, the revolutionary and Donna Karen dress, an excerpt follows. Sadly, it may not bring Jenner lasting happiness, says former Johns Hopkins University psychiatrist-in-chief Paul Mikau in the Wall Street Journal. At Johns Hopkins, we stopped doing sex reassignment surgery in the late 1970s after discovering the operations did nothing to solve the patient's underlying uh, social psychology troubles and only left them still disappointed with their appearance. A 2011 Swedish study that followed 324 surgically reassigned people for up to 30 years found that they remained deeply troubled and isolated. After a decade, their suicide mortality rate rose almost 20-fold above the non-transgendered population, end of quote. Jesus Christ is the only one who can satisfy the cravings of a man or a woman's soul. He alone can fill the void. God said, Revelation six twelve through 17, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll, when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places." And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bond man, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? God said, Matthew twenty four thirty six through 42, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field. 
The one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. God said, Revelation sixteen seventeen through 20, And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. Man said, These doomsday prophets make me laugh. There is no end to this world, and certainly no judgment day. Now you have the record.